Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. Matis Yahoo, the Jewish hip-hop star, is in the news after two of his upcoming live performances were suddenly canceled. One at the Rialto Theater in Tucson, Arizona, and the other at the Meow Wolf Theater in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The venue cited safety concerns and staff shortages when they pulled the plug only hours before the shows were about to begin. But the Metasiahu believes that his speech was the real reason behind the cancellations. He is a vocal supporter of Israel, and the singer's commentary since the events of October 7th have really pissed off the pro-Hamas genocidal sex-crazed cult. And so the activists who support this cult decided that they were going to protest outside at least one of the venues during his performance. Matisyahu believes that the threat of a protest probably contributed to these last-minute staff issues. In a statement posted to X, Matisyahu said that, quote, the staff at these venues refused to come to work forcing cancellations, and that they do this because they are either anti-Semitic or have confused their empathy for the Palestinian people with hatred for someone like me, who holds empathy for both Israelis and Palestinians. Matisyahu said that his team even offered to supplement their staff shortages on their own dime, but the theater still said no. In a follow-up statement posted this week, he referenced another venue being vandalized in an attempt to force a cancellation of his show. Quote, it's truly a sad day when dialogue with those you disagree with is abandoned for hate-mongering and silencing artistic expression, end quote. Now, Matis Yahu is not living in a bubble. Cancellations on both sides of the ticket have happened. In November, the Dallas Comedy Club in Texas suddenly canceled comedian Daoud Neimer's two-night gig with the power promoter citing social media posts from Neymar that, in the that included jokes critical of the Israeli government's actions in Gaza. This month, the Apollo Theater in London canceled British author and journalist Douglas Murray's pro-Israel fundraiser after, after employees received email death threats. Jewish author Nathan Thrall, who has been critical of Israel, had nearly a quarter of his planned book tour events canceled by venues this past fall amid safety concerns. And in November, a Los Angeles screening of the short film Bearing Witness by Israeli actress Gal Gadot was met with social media calls for the event's cancellation and violence outside the venue. These cancellation and disruptions are the heckler's veto at its best and culture of free speech at its worst. Constitutional law professor Eugene Volokh quoted from Black Law's Dictionary to explain that a heckler's veto has two related meanings— one pertaining more to the First Amendment and the other to the broader culture of free speech. In the legal realm, it is the government's restriction or curtailments of speakers' rights to freedom of speech when necessary to prevent possible violent reactions from the listeners. Culturally, however, a heckler's veto is an interruptive or disruptive act by a private person intending to prevent the speaker from being heard, such as shutting down the speaker, hurtling personal insults, and carrying out loud side conversations. Now, we, we've seen this happen before. And what's interesting is that 
when it's a pro-Israel person or when it has to do with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict or the Arab-Israel conflict, as I like to refer to it as, because Palestinian people don't really exist. They're a fabrication. So the Arab-Israel conflict, when it refers to the Arab-Israel conflict, suddenly the rules, the regular rules of conduct, the rules that people use to, to have debate, the rules that people use to judge what's true and what's not true, the rules that people use to conduct themselves in a, in a proper manner, seem to go out the window. Nobody seems to care about the rules when it comes to Jews and Arabs. And so we see this over and over again. Matisyahu gets canceled. Uh, a Jewish speaker on campus can't speak. A pro-Israel speaker gets shouted down. And when it happens, when Arabs shut down pro-Israel speakers, everyone applauds. But when, when Jews shut down anti-Jewish speakers, anti-Israel speakers, oh, that becomes headline news. A few years ago, at Concordia University in Montreal, the Israel Apartheid Week was happening. And two pro-Israel activists went into a apartheid, an anti-apartheid event on campus at Concordia University in Montreal and shouted down the speakers. They were yelling, Am Yisrael Chai. They were yelling, uh, Israel lives, Israel lives. They translated to English for the people who didn't understand Hebrew there. And they stood with Israeli flags. Not only were they bombarded with security, who was trying to force them out of the event, something that never happens, by the way, when an Arab yells down a Jewish speaker, but they were, they were escorted out of the building. There was an investigation. Charges were going to be placed against these people. It became a big hoopla. It became front-page news. When a Jewish speaker was, sh was shut down, was, was shut down, was shouted down at the same university, nobody even blinked an eye. Because Jews aren't allowed to express their support for Israel. Jews aren't allowed to bring in speakers on university campuses to talk about Israel, to support Israel, to support the Israeli government. Campuses have become a wasteland, a woke wasteland of garbage. Now, when I talk about wokeness, let me, let me be very clear what I mean when I say woke. And I know the leftists do this all the time, but in, in this case here, it's actually true. When I say woke, I'm talking about white supremacy. And why am I talking about white supremacy? Simply because that's what the woke people want. The woke people want segregation. They want, they want blacks to have their own dormitories, as they do at Harvard University. They want blacks to have their own graduations, as they do at Harvard and Princeton. They want blacks to, to be totally separate from the white community. They want to resegregate the whites and the blacks. Not only that, but they don't want black representation anywhere. So we're back to subjugating blacks in 2024. Think about this for a second. Just consider this for one second. A couple of years ago, there was a big hoopla about mascots on, on products. We heard about Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima and, and how it was terrible to have these, these representations on packaging, on food packaging. And so what did they do? These woke activists went to work and they started protesting the Pearl Mill uh, Corporation that owns Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben, saying, you can't have these images of black people on your products. And so fearing a boycott and fearing losing that lucrative rice money and that lucrative uh, uh, syrup money, they pulled the, the black people off the packaging. 
they changed the name. So Aunt Jemima is not Aunt Jemima anymore. Now it's the Pearl Mill, whatever it's called. And um, and Uncle Ben's, it's just called Ben's Rice. It's not Uncle Ben anymore. It's just Ben's Rice. It's no picture. So they took those two characters, the two black representatives of these two products, off the product. And then the wokes weren't happy enough. They already got rid of Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima. That wasn't enough for them. They went after Miss Butterworth, and her image was pulled off. So that's three black images that were pulled off products. And then to top it off, their coup d'etat, as they say, they went after Two Rivers Butter. Now, Two Rivers Butter had uh, had an image of two rivers and, uh, and, uh, and a Native American, an Indian guy, standing in, in the middle of the two rivers. It was a great depiction of Native American lifestyle before we jungleized their, their countries. And they pulled the Native American off two rivers. So, no Native American on two rivers, no black guy on Uncle Ben's, no black woman on Aunt Jemima, no black woman on Miss Butterworth. The only mascot left was the white Quaker Oats guy. So you tell me who won that battle. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. This discrimination that's happening is absolutely shockingly amazing. And it's amazing that many people are buying into this. Many lefties are buying into this. You know, a lot of my friends will be listening to this and will be saying, Howie, you're a conspiracy theorist. How could you say this? But think about it. The end result is where, where you want to go. What's the end goal? The end goal is equality for everyone. How is it equal when, you're having, when, you, when you don't have mixed dormitories? How is it equal when you have separate graduations? Martin Luther King fought for equality. He says no man should be judged based on the color of their skin. And that should be the universal rule for everybody. We're all equal. If we pull off our skin, our blood is the same color and our skeletons look the same. So why the segregation? Why the separation of colors? When we take a look at the Arab-Israel conflict and the way it plays itself out, we realize one thing. And we just take a look at everything, we realize one thing, and everybody realizes this. The Arab-Israel conflict has nothing to do with land. And until, we, until most people start understanding this, it's always going to be shaped and, 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 and packaged as a land war. But it's really not a land war. It never has been. If it was a land war, then Matisyahu wouldn't be canceled in Tucson, Arizona. If it's a land war, then Jews would not be hearing gas the Jews at protests in North America. If it was a land war, then the Israeli government and the Palestinian Authority under Yasser Arafat 30 years ago would have resolved it with the Oslo Accords. It's not a land war. It's nothing to do with land. Nobody cared about that land before 1948 and the Jews showed up. It's a religious war. And because it's a religious war, this is why it's not going to be solved. This is why, no matter how much land Israel gives up, they're always going to want more land. No matter how many Jews die, there will always be more Jews that die. No matter how many Arabs die, the Arabs aren't going to care. Because a holy jihad means that you could martyr yourself and go directly to heaven. There is no value to life when you're fighting for God. So when they get up and, they, and Gaza and, and Hamas makes up these numbers about how many people are killed in Gaza, 
You know, if you added up all the numbers that have people killed in Gaza since October 7th by the Israelis, you'd realize that there's nobody living in Gaza anymore. Everybody's been killed. The numbers they quote are totally ludicrous, yet people believe them. They believe them because the mainstream media reports them. Because we are supposed to take the truth from a genocidal, murdering sex cult. That's what we're supposed to take the truth from. We, we got to believe the terrorists when they tell us that 30,000 people were killed or that all these babies were killed. That we have to believe because terrorists are ones that are believed. When Israel said that babies were beheaded and that babies were killed, the world yelled, prove it. When Hamas says that 30,000 people were killed in one day by Israel, nobody demands proof on that. And what about the hostages? I want to bring them home. What about the hostages? Nobody seems to care about the hostages. Israel just arrested a bunch of UN workers who were holding hostages and who were complicit in the October 7th massacre of Jews, in the genocidal attack on the Jewish state. UN officials, UN people, people working for the United Nations. The United Nations are supposed to be peacekeepers. They're supposed to be neutral. We put the United Nations in there to make sure that one side doesn't oppress the other side. Yet we, here we have teachers, lawyers, taking part in a genocidal attack on the Jewish state. So one has to wonder. There's no outrage. Nobody seems to care. Joe Biden's administration is still trying to force the Israeli government into a two-state solution with who? I don't know. How could there be two states? When one side celebrates death and the murder of the Jews and the other side is just trying to survive, where is there a two-state solution in here? I don't get it, but that's what, that's what, the, that's what the Obama administration wants and that's what the, the Biden administration wants. Or should I say the Harris administration? Who knows who's running the show there? And here we are, stuck in the middle with you. Wondering, why is it that we are always under, get the short end of the stick when it comes to geopolitical politics? Why is it that Israel's always the bad guy? Why is it that Jewish life is so cheap and that Jewish blood could run down the streets and nobody cares? Why is it that the Jews unlike the blacks, unlike the Arabs, don't get out in mass on the streets complaining and protesting for causes that they agree in. I don't know. Last week, the Bronfman Building at McGill University, once again in Montreal, was uh, blocked off by Arab protesters. The university, like every other university, it's not a big surprise, is, is a cesspool of wokeism and allowed these protesters to block off their building. And instead of calling the police in to remove them, what they did was they, they uh, redirected classes. They closed the building and redirected classes. Now, a bunch of Jewish protesters, counter-protesters, got up and started chanting on the other side of the street. And one has to wonder what the value of that was. You have to, uh, you have to you know, when, you, when you're doing protests, and I taught this for many years. When, you, when you're doing protests and counter-protests, there has to be a value to the counter-protest. And the value can't be it makes me feel good that I'm doing something rather than doing nothing, so it makes me feel good. 
has to be a little more than that. So what was the value of the counter-protest uh, at McGill? Other than giving the Arabs the, the recognition that they wanted and giving some Arabs the physical violence that they were craving, that was pretty much it. Now, I'm saying Arabs because I'm just assuming it was Arabs that were protesting. It probably wasn't. Because as we know, the protesters right around the world are being paid by, by, by various charities to go out and protest. This is how you're getting so many people out there. They're answering ads and they're, they're, they're protesting for dollars. Paid outrage. Now, now we, we have a lot of history in paid outrage. We understand paid outrage. But the paid outrage is, uh, is what's fueling what's fueling this protest, the Palestinian protest, which is why it's gone on so long. Normally, when you have a conflict in the Middle East, and we've seen this time and time again, you'll get both sides getting up, then they get bored and they move on to other things, and you don't see consistent and, and persistent protests. The only, time, the only reason we're seeing persistent and consistent protests now is because the protesters are being paid, and what is the political advantage of paying protesters? It's destabilizing the American government and trying to force the, the, the government to fall, thus forcing democracy to fall, and creating a new world order where communism would rule. This is the goal. And so these anarchists will jump onto any, any, any cause that they could exploit for their own purposes. So they jumped onto George Floyd cause, the Black Lives Matter cause. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people got on the street protesting under Black Lives Matter, which was the biggest pyramid scam of the 20th century, of the 21st century, so far. And thousands of activists got up there because they're being funded, well-funded and well-paid by corporations or different organizations that wanted to destabilize the world. Occupy Wall Street, same story. This pro-Palestinian, pro-Gaza protest if you go and you speak to the people who are there who are protesting in favor of Hamas and you ask them what they're protesting, they have no idea. They don't even know where Gaza is. Pointed out on a map, they couldn't even point it out on a map. So people who can't point out the place that they're protesting for on a map really don't give a damn about the place. And they're only there to cause trouble. They're only there to, to, uh, to usurp authority. They're only there to piss off the police and piss off anyone they can to cause conflict and potential violence so that they could uh, keep ruling through anarchy. This is the goal of these protests. This is the only goal of these protests. We have to realize that that's what's going on. I'm Howie Silberger. Thank you for joining me. I will be back again, hopefully tomorrow, right here on The Howie Silberger Show.